Well, sir, I'll tell you, I get, I do get excited about words. And so even thinking of words like algebra and algorithm and stuff like that, I immediately am more interested in like, what's that word about than the mathematical concepts? Yes. So there's this guy, and I, he's actually the guy behind both of those words. His name was Muhammad Ibn Musa. He was from this place that is, if you were crossing Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan, you'd be going across a lot of desert. And right on the border of the two, there's this oasis region. And that place is called eh, Guadizmi, Guadizmi, something like that. He was a really famous astronomer, like a, just a science guy, astronomer and mathematician, especially a lot of stuff. And so because he was writing a lot and he was known around the world in like the ninth century, like way back when, he, his name Muhammad Ibn Musa wasn't enough. They also added the from such and such place to the end of his name. So you know who you're talking about. And that was yes. Al Guadizmi al algorithm. And he was a famous system, like the 10th place, 100 places. And the Latinized version of his name basically looks and sounds like algorithm. And it's not clear if this is in honor of him that we call it an algorithm or if it was what you call mingled translation, where it was like al Qadizmi's explanation of Arabic numerals turns into al Qadizmi's numerals, turns into algorithm numbers, turns into algorithm. And... I have to say that uh, my interest level in any of this is really low, but I'm glad that you're having a good time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, algorithm. Yeah, exactly. But there we are. I would, but I don't really know I would mathematically think that, like, what an algorithm is. So maybe you could tell me about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Certainly computer algorithms are a big thing. Yeah, yeah. And certainly at the moment, they're getting a bad name. But yeah. computer algorithms are, of course, miracles it's like that have caused huge quantum leaps in society and how things work. But it's not really necessarily, in my mind, I'm not necessarily interested in the strictly mathematical aspect of the algorithm, but just what it represents, uh -huh. which is a process for solving a problem or producing a certain desired result. That's really all an algorithm is. And, and we use algorithms all the time, most of which are probably not, at least the way we think about them, they're probably not mathematical. Yeah. No, but that actually works really well because Al Khwarizmi, this guy, some of his big books were all about, look, here's a big problem. And he's explaining, mm -hmm. here's how you can take, take the two similar factors on both sides, for example, and get rid of them and combine these two. Basically, it's a step-by-step -step throughout the book of how to take yes. a big problem and take it into pieces and break those pieces down and come up with a yeah. solution. And it occurs to me, I'm not a huge, I'm not hugely good at math. My brother's tra traditionally was the chess really guy. Chess. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. But great snare drummer too. Not coincidentally, I don't think, mm. you know, math and all that. But anyway, where was I going with this? So I think algebra is a great example of an algorithmic, you know, an algorithmic process. That's all quotes me too, dude. Algebra is yeah. his thing. Yeah. Totally makes yeah. sense. And that doesn't surprise me, right? Because, because like you have two different sides of the equation mm -hmm. and what do we need to do? I don't know, get them to balance out or something like that. And yeah. then there's, I remember there's whole sets of different techniques that you can use to help you achieve like a desired result. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And then I think, I think in real life, a couple of algorithms definitely come to mind, like, um, going on a trip or mm. like driving somewhere, driving somewhere is like a great example of like a fairly simple algorithm, right? So you have your desired outcome, which is I want to get to Jim's house, mm -hmm. right? Ooh, especially if I'm driving from New York, the algorithm becomes pretty juicy and important, right? So say I want to drive to your house, New York to Utah somewhere, right? So I have my desired result, which is I need to get to Utah. And then there's a variety of different procedures that we will employ to get us there. We're going to drive our car. We're going to keep an eye on the speed limit signs. So we're safe and we don't get a speeding ticket. And then uh, there's going to be a series of driving maneuvers, like turn left, mm -hmm. turn right, merge, like all of these are all procedures that we need to do in order to get there. And then there'll be a sequence of steps that we're going to follow. But then there's also a wide variety of different inputs, you might say, or, or variables that have to be taken into consideration. For example, I shouldn't just take the shortest route 
to your house mileage wise, right? Because if the vast majority of that route is asking me to drive at 15 miles an hour instead of 70 miles an hour, it's not going to be the most efficient way to get there. Another example is I don't always, in the United States, I wouldn't always want to drive through the inner city, even if that was like the best distance way to go, because maybe there's crime in the inner city. So it would be like, it'd be in my interest to drive around it. Another thing might be, maybe there's some really cool historical stuff, not very far from the fastest route, but that could really amp up the enjoyment of my route, right? right? Other considerations is maybe it's better to not drive over the mountains because the flattest road is going to save me a lot of money in gas. I'm not sure it's going to save a lot of money in gas, but maybe a little bit. The other thing is like, where am I going to sleep at night? Mm-hmm. I'm going to need to incorporate that into my route because it's going to take me w- more than one day to get there. Are there some places that are better to stop and pee at than others? But can you see how like, so we had a very pretty simple desired end result. We've got some fairly straightforward procedures. Like I got to know how to drive my car and turn left and right. And I have the sequence of like steps, but then it, in the beginning, there's actually quite a few more inputs or variables that we thought, and we have to be able to calculate our way through those in order to develop the best procedures, which will actually consistently get us to the best result. But then of course, there's other considerations too. This reminds me of computers. If it takes me 49 days to compute the best route, it's not a very good algorithm, is it? Right. And so I have to be able to, I have to be able to come up with a very satisfactory result in a reasonable amount of time, given a whole wide variety of inputs. And that's really what an algorithm is. Another great example would be, I want to make breakfast, Mm -hmm. you know, and the desired result is a nice, tasty breakfast. We have a variety of different procedures we could employ all the way from pouring milk into the bowl. But it could also be to like greasing the pan or, you know, getting the right spatula out or something like that. We've got all, we've got all the sort of tools in the tool chest. And then the inputs are wide and varying, starting with what ingredients we have in the fridge. Yeah. What's available. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What's available. What's not available. What, what are you in the mood for? Mm -hmm. How hungry are you? Do you need carbs, fat, or protein are you gluten like intolerant your macronutrients <laughs> yeah well yeah etc is you or anyone you're feeding do yeah. they have any like dislikes or intolerances man this is good right but like the inputs we have to be able to sort of like plug those in yeah, yeah. to a set of procedures that's going to fairly efficiently get us to the result we want another variable would be how much time do i have to get this done you know yeah. uh, how hungry am i what's my level of patience man there's like all those sorts of different things. And then the procedures that we employ are important. It's why people have gas stovetops instead of everyone just having a smoker in the backyard, like that oven stovetop microwave combo Mm -hmm. that most of us have, you know, like it's there for a reason. Those are algorithm procedures that maximize the efficiency to output quality ratio. Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I think I may be starting to catch the vision for how this is going to, how this could apply to something like tuning where it's like, You've got a ton of potential variables and it's not just attacking each variable, each like if then statement. It's also like how many of those procedural tools can you have in place that will most efficiently, like you want the lowest number of efficient tools to handle the large, that large spread of potential variables. Yeah. Yep. 
you're bang on, Jim. That's I am exactly good it. at math. I finally get math. Thank you, Andrew yeah. Douglas. <laughs> I think you might be surprised to, you know, by you, I mean me too, I think probably. Like, I think we might be surprised to find just how simple math is when you look at it from that perspective. Oh, okay. So we're trying to develop algorithms to get these things done. Mm. It seems to me like rocket, like literal rocket science is algorithmic as well, right? Yeah. So like we got to launch a rocket into space. There's a lot of variables that are always going to be at play, weather, propellants, and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And Tesla uh, stock don't even... prices. Yeah. Tesla That's stock prices. One yeah, of the exactly. variables, right? <laughs> could be. Could be. I saw somewhere that they've already launched. Well, it's already been a world record or a record for number of launches and we're only in september oh really number of launches in a year it's something obscene like mm. over 200 launches already this year wow that can't be right they're not doing like one a i lost day, i lost track of it man i don't know my i know my sister saw starlink the other night and freaked out she didn't know what it was that's the yeah. last i heard about anything lately my brother got to see a starlink yeah. thing i haven't seen one yet yeah me neither we're referring to those cool like streaks of yeah satellites before yeah. they separate and disperse themselves right. into orbit yeah i was we my wife and i went on a mediterranean cruise after the worlds and we use the cruise ships all use starlink now. oh do they that's pretty cool yeah they got on board yep. quick what were we talking about though oh yeah algorithms let's talk about a bagpipe tuning from the perspective of an algorithm and and i think that things make a lot of sense for example when i want to drive to jim's house mm. the desired output is uh, to get to your house mm -hmm. in my car and then possibly, you know, and like be as far removed from death as reasonably possible. Mm -hmm. Seems like a, seems like a large, a large ride. So when we tune our bagpipes, okay. And I'm just talking about for now, a solo bagpiper. I'm not talking about tuning up a pipe band because that introduces a few more desired outputs, I think. Uh, but when, a I, lot more when I'm tuning my, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. So tuning a pipe band is the same as tuning a solo pipe just a lot more yeah right there's it's the same basic idea and we would still take an algorithmic approach okay but the outputs would be more but starting with a solo bagpipe what is the desired output you want to take a stab at this jim in front of a, an audience of millions i think the desired output would be to sound good to be okay. more specific meaning having all three drones and chanter be reasonably based upon the same reasonably frequency reasonably that in the shadow of a recent conversation where, where that we re, that we had where we talked about how like your bagpipes are never perfectly in tune for more than maybe yeah. a millisecond i was like recognizing yes. that but yeah yeah so I, I think i'm with you there and then so what you're going with is the drones and the chanter are all kind of in tune with each other yeah vibing yeah and then i would be a little bit more specific so i would say the desired output is twofold but it's really onefold which is what you said we want the whole instrument to sound great uh, but then it just pays to be slightly more specific here and say, okay, we want all of our drones to be in tune as one unit. Okay. So we've got all three drones perfectly in tune with each other. That's objective number one. Uh, a great simple way of evaluating whether or not that's successful is how many drones do you hear right now? Mm. You know, so when you listen to a bagpiper, if, and you listen specifically to the drones, if you just hear one thing, that's a good indication that uh, that aspect has been successful. Mm. And then if you hear multiple drones, then that's a good indication that it's not successful. So 
multiple drones, you might have that like beating sound and you right. can tell that there's more than one instrument. Whereas when a great player is playing, the drone just sounds like one thing, yeah. which is pretty cool. Love that. So that that's A. And then B is all of the chanter intervals are sounding in tune relative to the drones. Yeah. You know, we all know the low A, we want to make sure the drones are in tune with low A, but there's all the other notes on the chanter as well. And all of those need to be in tune. But that, that's the objective here. Whatever we do with our tuning, however we do it, needs to end up at that result. Mm -hmm. Good? Yeah. Making sense so far? Totally. So we would call that, that would be the desired output of our algorithm. Just like when we use Google Maps, the desired output is they show us the route that we're going to drive to get to where we want to go. Or just like the when we bake a cake, right? The desired output is... A nice, cake. delicious cake. Mm. Yep. And then procedures, that's the middle part. So what procedures are we going to use to get ourselves in tune? So we need to get the drones in tune with each other. We need to get the chanter in tune with the drones. So what kind of procedures can we employ to get that done? Mm. Jim, this is, it's your time to shine again. Okay. Procedures to get that done. A starting, I'm going to start with one drone and then add a second drone to it and get those two. Okay just focus on those two and get them in touch. Cool. So what kind of, like, so that's good. And then how are you going to do that? Well, let's see it first starting out, I'm just going to cork off or pop off the other two drones and then I'm going to bring in the second, probably just the two tenors. So I'll start with the outside tenor. I'll bring in the middle tenor with it. And I'm going to use that slide yep. and I'm just going to go up and down until it sounds good. Yeah. And it then what, worse, can you be more way. specific? What, what gets worse? Oh yeah. So what I don't want, you mentioned the wah, 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 what, what I'm listening for. If it sounds horrible and then it starts getting closer, it'll be like, yeah, wah, wah. And it feels like that clapping. I don't know. What do you think? Does that, I feel, all of a sudden I'm like, does that clapping usually get faster as it gets closer to in tune or does it slow down as it gets closer to in tune? It's one or the other, as you're getting closer, it's, it's slowing down, isn't it? It's like, yes, it goes from like, wah, 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 and that's where I'm going to stop. And if I keep, yes. and often I actually Love go it. too far just to double check. Cause like, then it's like, wah, 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 you know, kind of zero in on that spot. Yeah. If I can hold that steady a minute. That's where I get started. Love it. So that's a perfect example of a tuning procedure that we're going to use. And by the way, that's like, uh, and you know, the ability to identify beats and whether they're slowing down or speeding up. Okay. That's like really one of the big ones mm. with that, we can get 80% of tuning done, maybe even more, right? So just be able to identify that, that sort of beating disturbance, right? And those beats are caused by, um, interference between sounds. So the sounds are extremely similar, but not exactly the same. So they interfere with each other, right? It causes literal loud and soft fluctuations because mm. when the when the frequencies overlap they get louder and when they detach they get softer and that's where those wah-wahs come from so the closer we get the two sounds together the less they interfere less they interfere and then at a certain point their frequencies are exactly the same or at least audibly exactly the same mm. uh, and so instead of interfering with each other i don't know if this is scientifically correct but they resonate together mm. and they sort of lock in they have like a super cool, nice, resonant, sweet sound to them, which is great. And that when it, certainly when it comes to tuning the drones together, that's the name of the game. And we're going to employ the same technique, by the way, when we bring the bass drone in, 
we will do the same thing and try to eliminate beats between the bass drone and the tenor drone, which is a little bit harder to do, but it's the same exact principle. Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that's one of the algorithm procedures. What, what are some other ones? Well, so let's see from, from drones. I mean, like there's going to be some back and forth between these, you know, going, going from drones to chanter back to drones, et cetera, to get into the right spot, yep. but fr moving from drones, then that's where personally i like to go to low a i know that some people i know some people like to use a d or a high a but that's first to start i like to go to, to low a and in a similar way just kind of try to see like now is my is my low a vibe in there as well or if, is it making claps happen as well you know wah wahs yeah love it so so the next procedure is we, we've got a nice procedure for getting drones in tune with each other now we're going to need a procedure for that second part of the desired output, which is getting the chanter in tune with the drones, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to need a procedure for that. And it's going to start by comparing the low A to the drone, let's say. That's a very common way to do it. And then what is the procedure for determining whether or not the low A is in tune with the drones? Well... And maybe, and maybe it matters to plug this in. It's uh, a play it for a while. That's, that's maybe a key thing. Like, I, am I going to trust the sound the very first time I make that chant or make any sound at all? Right. So I'm, I'm going to kind of get it going a little bit first, buzz it for a little bit first. And then once I feel like I've been buzzing it for a little bit, then I, man, teach me, man. Cause honestly, I feel like I kind of start to feel it out. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Actually. I'm it. Cause it's not the same as it, cause it, because it's not the same sound. It, those wah-wahs aren't as clear after it's not the same sound. Yeah. It's this operating at a slightly different octave. I think the low A of the chanter is one octave higher than the drones. Yeah. So anyway, when you play the low A relative to the drone, how do you know if it's good or not? Just go ahead. Yeah. And that's, take a step. That, it, yeah. That's hard. Cause it, now that you're making Do, me think about it, well, if it sounds good, then it's good. And if it isn't, then it's either flat or sharp. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure what it yep. is that I'm doing in that case. Exactly. So you basically, you have to have a great ear genetically gifted to you in order to know if that's in tune, right? I'm genetically gifted in so many ways. And uh, I'd like to think yes. one of them is essentially perfect pitch. And so my pipes are never out of tune. Yep. There you go. So... Uh, when you get the new dojo tuning course, <laughs> I don't know, even need it. Uh, I'll watch it, it just comes to know with, what's going yeah, on. But it comes with some like cell gen gene therapy <laughs> yeah. to get, make sure you know, I don't know about you, but I really sucked at this when I first started. I'm better at it now. Uh, but how did I get better? Well, and where I'm going with this is certainly most pipers I know, myself included, when we first started doing this, we didn't really know whether the low A was in tune with the drone. Yeah. And you don't have to know, okay? But the procedure you do have to understand and be able to do is what I call just try something. Mm. Yeah, uh, test it, okay? So that we have the low A and we have the drone. What's like the simplest way to test whether the low A and the drone are sounding as good as they can together, tuning-wise? Play them. Play, play them and listen. Maybe record nope. yourself and listen back. You could record yourself and listen back. What what I would recommend is just reach up and change your drone. Oh, yeah. Okay. Purposefully just, make it different. Yeah. And this would be an example of a test, right? So it sounds, seems to sound okay or bad. I don't even really know. But I can reach up and change a drone, otherwise known as take a wild guess, mm -hmm. move the drone in one direction, and then compare that result. So mm -hmm. we got the drone, we got the low A comparing the result. Oh, that sounds a lot better than it did before. Cool. Or, ooh, 
I don't like that compared to what it was before. Right. You can just, or it sounds the same. And oh, maybe there is something wrong with my no change. And if that's the case, you know, you would want to continue to experiment. Right. Yeah. yeah. By the way, another great way to develop your ear is to do this on somebody else's pipes while you're not playing. A lot of the times, like it seems like we don't have a good ear, but really what's going on is there's just too much going on. Yeah. Right. So if, if, uh, if I just play the pipes and then you practice moving the drone in and out with low A, that can help give you the confidence that, oh, I can hear when things get better and worse, at least roughly, okay? And that's the starting point that we want. But anyway, th- that basic wild guess is an example of a procedure that you could employ. Another one, a, a more advanced version of that would be pressure variance testing. Oh, okay, like which squeeze at, harder kind of thing? Yeah, which at the dojo we call uh, the blow trick. Mm. But it's really just uh, purposefully varying the pressure of your instrument uh, to have it tell us something about the chanter's relationship to the drone. And that's because when you change the pressure of your instrument, the chanter will change more than the drone. Mm. Uh, And then when we know that, we know, for example, when we ease off the pressure of our blowing, if the low A sounds better relative to the drone, you can logically figure out what that means. So we reduce the, the pitch of the chanter and it sounds better to the drone. So what does that mean about the chanter? It means the chanter's currently higher in pitch Mm -hmm. than the drone aha great so that's another possible procedure we could employ and then if the chanter's sharper than the drone how could we change the drone to match the chanter better make it shorter exactly yep yep the chanter is higher in pitch okay then to make the drone higher in pitch to match we just shorten it up make it a little bit sharper now that drone will be better in tune with the chanter, mm. right? That's another example of a procedure. Uh, another procedure that you see every now and then, another test that you can employ for the chanter to figure out what what, it, what its relationship to the drones is, is to just like partially cover the hole. Right? You could do it temporarily by just like sliding your finger ever so slightly over the hole and seeing like what that uh, what that makes. But you could also just experiment with a piece of tape mm-hmm. as well. So if you make the hole a little bit covered in tape, okay, if you lengthen the distance of the hole from the reed, okay, and it sounds better relative to the drone, then you can figure out what's going on there. But it's all about testing, right? So so these procedures are all about testing. So we need some sort of test to determine the chanter reed's pitch relative to the drone. And by the way, what you described earlier of moving the drone and uh, listening to the rate of the beats that we hear, okay? That's another test, right? It's another trial and error test. So we're not going to test the drone by moving it down, okay? And see if the test reveals more or less beating than before, Mm -hmm. okay? And our next tuning move will be informed by them. So those are tuning procedures. By the way, there's other sub-procedures too that we won't get into today, but if you can't blow steady, okay, that's a well-known bagpiping procedure, Okay, so we have to get good at that because if you can't blow steady, it's going to be difficult to perform any of these other tuning procedures. So that's sort of a sub-procedure, right? Mm. And then another sub-procedure is, are your bagpipes set up to be airtight and uh, maximally efficient? Mm. You know, I I played my pipes for a a local community um, production of Brigadoon a few years ago. And and in the main theme, there's this bass line in the music, in the score that, that does this like, Bottom, bottom, bottom mm-hmm. thing, and I heard then from someone that it's something I'd never heard before that that was intended to imitate or mimic 
um, bagpipe drones. And I yep. realized, oh, bad bagpipe drones, right? <laughs> um, well, I, I appreciate mm-hmm. this approach, Andrew, because I feel like what it does is it says, try it. Like, like get in there and get messy. It, it is making me think of a tendency in myself and that I see often with my own children, with other things, whether it be art projects or schoolwork that they're doing at home, that they will get really upset, uh, you know, frustrated and trying to figure out why they're so frustrated. It is that they don't want to do it if it's not going to be perfect. Right. Yeah. It's like, look, that's okay if it's not perfect because you're, you'll get to where you can make it perfect. But before you can do that, you've got to try it. If you don't ever try it, yeah. you're not going to, you, know, you got to screw around to find out. <laughs> You don't it's mess a around growth, and you find out. Yeah. Growth versus fixed mindset. Mm, yeah. Either I'm good yeah, at it or I'm bad, right? Versus I'm going to try it. Yes. And I'll get, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and the reality of the situation is even the things that you're good at, that you think you can do perfectly, you can't. Mm. And uh, you can do them to a very high proficiency uh, because at some point you applied a growth mindset to that problem. Mm. Uh, and you probably did it before you were super conscious uh, being able to do it. But that problem that you're alluding to, in my experience, gets worse the more mature you get. That totally makes so sense. So yeah. adults, are, adults are typically, they typically exhibit horrendously fixed mindsets, especially when it comes to tuning. And that's okay. We'll, we're going to work on that. And that's, I think, actually probably part of the allure of playing bagpipes is like gives you the opportunity to learn things a little bit better. But yeah, there is no such thing as being perfectly in tune, which I think we've discussed at the at a previous podcast or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And throughout the uh, throughout the production of this tuning course that we're putting together that we're releasing here in October, which is going to be pretty cool. But I actually have done a lot. I don't even know how many at this point. 12, 15 uh, tuning interviews with famous pipers. Oh, yeah. So I, like sat down with them and we just like uh, bounce ideas off each other and even these greatest pipers known living they're all going to tell you like if everything's going perfectly and i've set everything up perfectly and the conditions are going perfectly well maybe my pipes will stay in tune for like nine minutes mm-hmm. yeah you know so when you hear matt mcisaac say something like that you're like oh okay cool so i'm not alone I'm here not the and only that- one <laughs> Yeah, no, the name of the game is not perfect tuning. The name of the game is you know, the best possible procedures yeah. that can get you to that desired output efficiently and manage the inevitable changes that are going to happen. Yeah. Mm. Which brings me to the final thing. So when, when we were talking about driving from New York to Jim's house and we thought about the variables, okay, otherwise I, I sometimes lovingly call them algorithm inputs right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all those different variables, it started to actually feel kind of overwhelming and crazy, right? Yeah. A- apropos of our discussion of me not being good at math, that math is like an algorithmic like chain of what you have to solve. That is so overwhelming to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What do I do with all this? Yeah. And well, and that here's a huge pile of information and we some have to, we somehow have to sort through that when you're going to cook yourself breakfast, open the fridge, Look at all those ingredients, and I have to come up with something out of that. Mm, Crazy. Yeah. And believe it or not, you have a procedure for selecting breakfast ingredients, don't you? Uh, you do it subconsciously, but it's not that hard. Eggs right. are a strong candidate here. Maybe some cheese, salt and pepper, proof, maybe some butter. Proof is the eggs was the first thing on my mind as well. So there's something, whether it's social yeah. or so, there's something, we, yeah, we already have like these things inbuilt. We already have these like inbuilt procedures that help yeah. us efficiently get to the thing. 
By the way, some of the procedures are faulty and are crappy and not good. Mm-hmm. For example, yeah, ooh, I need a snack. Uh, I don't know about you, but Doritos, if they're there on the shelf, they call out to me for some reason. Once and by again, the way, there I was. I was right there with you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. And like the Doritos are there and like there's the bag. Doritos are kind of like a bag, digital bagpipe tuner. Uh, oops, oh. dropped that one in there. Sorry. But like, oh, it's like it's there. And it's really easy to open the bag and it's really easy to get a lot of calories quickly, but it's not necessarily uh, going to get you the best desired output, is it? But those digital bagpipe tuners are so delicious, Andrew. They are. And the mouthfeel, the way they crunch. Yes. (laughs) They do crunch when you drive over them with your (laughs) bicycle. No, just kidding. No, um, uh, I'm not against bagpipe tuners if they, uh, if, you know, if they actually help us efficiently get to the result we want to. But anyway, with bagpipe tuning, there are so many different uh, possible inputs that we have to take into consideration. Let me just, is it okay if I name a couple? Name them. Uh, like, so is your instrument, is your pipe bag holding air? Uh, is it leaking air around the joints? Are your drone reads calibrated? What kind of drone reads do you use? What type of chanter are you using? Is it wood or is it black? Sorry, yeah, black wood or is it plastic? What type of pipe bag are you using? Are you using any moisture control systems? What's the temperature outside? Is the temperature outside likely to change during the course of your playing? Is it shady or sunny? Is there direct sunlight? Let's see, what else? What's the relative humidity outside? What's the relative humidity inside the bag? Uh, What's the temperature inside the bag and how does that relate to the temperature outside the bag? Uh, what are some other good ones? You can move How on. How long have you been playing? Yeah, there's the human aspect as well. So like, when did you last have yeah. a snack? How well rested are you? And have you not been playing uh, for a very long period? Or did you take a really long break and now you've had to get your pipes out for a sudden gig or yeah. something like that? Have you recently pinched your reed? <laughs> How much saliva did you put on the reed when you were sucking out on the way over there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How much did you lick the reed? How much did you pinch it? Have you recently poked it? Uh, what else do we got? How confident are you? That's, that's real. Yeah. I feel like there's more. Oh, are you blowing steadily? Yeah, big one. Uh, are you at the sweet spot of the reed or somewhere near it, but not quite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so on and so forth. There's a long list. Yeah. So, so if we've got an efficient set of procedures by which we can evaluate and, if needed, address these and other variables, that's, that's kind of what we're going for, right? That's how we figure out. Exactly. That's, that, that would be... Um, if we had the the book on how to do algebraic equations, that would be, here is the best, best practices for handling yes. these problems. Exactly right. And then, so some of the procedures that we might use are, you know, are not that useful. I think that the digital tuner is one of those things. Mm. Uh, but really, we need procedures that can take all those inputs, right, and efficiently deal with them, uh, help us gain knowledge and experience along the way, and then ultimately get us to that desired output, mm. right? So as the chanter read changes in pitch, which it's going to do, as the bagpipe behaves differently in different environments, as it's going to do, right? Um, as you blow steadily or unsteadily, which by the way, you're going to do, there's no such thing as a person that blows perfectly steadily. Uh, you can increase the, you can increase how steadily you blow, which will help. But, you know, as all of these inputs and variables change and there are sort of like an unlimited number of them. And by the way, we haven't even talked about tuning to other bagpipers or other instruments yet. Right, We're just yeah. talking about tuning a solo bagpipe. But as all of these things change, we need a simple set of procedures uh, that can get us to that desired result as rapidly as we possibly can. And that's what this sort of like 
thinking about bagpipe tuning from an algorithmic standpoint, that's where it can be really valuable and like provide a good sort of conceptual model for getting us where we need to go. Well, Andrew, where could a person go to learn such procedures? Good job, Jim. <laughs> good job. Just like we practiced. We, we've got the, a tuning course, which is going to be called something along the lines of Mastering the Great Bagpipe Tuning Algorithm. It's coming out soon at the dojo. I'm going to be talking about it. Uh, if people are interested in sort of like getting all of this stuff organized and, um, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of these different inputs too. And, and like dealing with how to think about them. Mm -hmm. Are moisture control systems good? Like Ross canister bags and stuff like that. Are they good or bad? Uh, the course isn't going to take like, you know, a hard stance on any of these issues. But you'll learn how to think about them a lot better as well. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll learn the pros and cons and, and the different procedures. And, and there's really only two core skills that you need to learn, which is pretty cool uh, in order to navigate the bagpipe tuning landscape but what makes tuning so uh, potentially difficult is all of those different variables we need to learn how to navigate our way through them uh in order to uh, to produce that desired output every time Make, so yeah keep an eye out for that course it's coming out soon that that does give me like a sense of excitement where i think like some of the difficulty that i have had my whole life with math it, i think really does lie in a rather difficult elementary school teacher that i had who was very mm. much a do exactly this and you get exactly that period kind of explanation for a lot of things yeah. rather than yes. explaining the concept behind it. And it feels to me like if you're, if Piper's Dojo is going to provide like conceptual information with which I can think about these things on my own, that's the, that I'm then equipped to be successful, right? Rather than this, like this, like the pipe major tells me to move it up or down and that's all I know kind of situation. Yeah. One of the, one of the big questions I'll, I will, and always did ask myself, Hey man, I'm sounding pretty good right now. Shouldn't surprise anyone here that, uh, that's the first reaction when I listen to myself. It's like, Oh, Ooh, I sound good. Nice one. <laughs> nice one, bro. Good one today. I self five. <laughs> but then also, but the, the follow-up question is how do I sound relative to like that Jack Lee solo that I love listening to? Uh -huh. Oh, well, I sound pretty good, but not that good yet. Okay. What are the differences between that? And what I sound like, mm. uh, and usually nine times out of ten, certainly developmentally, not anymore. I mean, now now, people, now you've blown that Jack Lee yeah. so out of the water. Yeah, now Jack yeah. Lee listens to me. That's no, he doesn't. Okay. But that's okay. Oh, uh, that would be a that would be a super funny like spoof <laughs> cartoon or something. Yeah, no. But when I listen to Jack Lee, uh, nine times out of ten, or Jack Lee or somebody else, any any other of these great players, it's like, oh, my bagpipe doesn't sound like Jack Lee sounds. Yeah, right. I would go or Jim McGillivray or any of these idols that I had growing up, it's like, I sound pretty good, but my bagpipe doesn't sound quite like that. Okay. Mm. What's the difference? Uh, there's tonal, there's timbral quality. There's the quality of the tuning. And then there's how well it holds, right? Does it stay in tune for the whole performance or not? Um, and usually th those things really aren't quite there yet. If you listen to yourself and then you compare yourself to a great piper and, and the sound isn't quite as good. Yeah. Okay. Now the question is why? Mm. And how, you know, what's the strategy uh, to move things in that direction? Okay. And, you know, especially if you're well-practiced and the result of your practice is that you don't sound as good uh, as you'd like to, right? Now the question is, what are you going to do about it? What's, what's the next step to move yourself forward? And there's actually, you know, mastering a simple set of procedures 
allowing you to develop better and better knowledge about how the bagpipe actually works and what great tuning actually entails, right? Uh, developing those things is how you're going to move things forward. Mm -hmm. I think. We've reached that awkward pause, Jim. That's the sign. That's, that's how you know. That's how you know. Yeah.